This is the Horse Radio Network. It's 2019, and you know what that means. New Year's resolutions. Two special guests will share their tricks and tips on how they stay on track with their goals. A new year also means new rules, and you'll never guess who beat McLean and BZ in one year-end contest. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Magazine, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne, and welcome to episode 39 of Heels Down Happy Hour. How are you, Jess? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Welcome to 2019. I know. Oh, crazy new year and lots of cool things we've got planned for the show this year, right? Absolutely. I'm so excited. What did you do for New Year's? Oh, you know, since I have a one-year-old, I spent it not even making it to New Year to midnight. So (laughs) I think it was like 10 o'clock, maybe, maybe. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Doug and I stayed at home and it was fun. It was just us. My family came in. We had a big birthday party for Hudson and a bunch of our friends. So it was fun. We had like it was fun. It was like a birthday for Hudson was one. Our friend Nielsen was 42 and our friend Wendy was 60. Wendy with the fanny pack. Oh yeah. My best friend. Absolutely. (laughs) But they're all born Christmas Eve and I feel like they always get shafted. So we did a big, big party. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. So that was my partying it up phase. Awesome. Yeah. We were pretty low key too. I mean, I made it to midnight, but I just also feel like every time I drink. I just like I'm hungover for two days and I just hate that. So yeah. it's just it's not in the cards anymore. <laughs> you know? I can't party like so, I'm 21 anymore. Nope. So, so as you guys know, this episode is brought to you by Eagle Gold. And Jess, I know you have the hunter pad, but I just ordered one and it's in the mail and I can't wait to hold it. Yay. And I, was, I know I was telling my husband, like, I was like, I know this is going to be really hard for you to understand as I try to explain how important this is to me, but I am so excited to get an eco gold pad. I'm freaking out. It is like the best Christmas gift ever, even though it's after Christmas. So I'm sure I'll tell you guys all about it on the show next time, but um, I can't wait. So excited. Speaking of excited, this drink that we have for you guys, I cannot wait to try. I don't know where you found this Justine, but wow. So, I'm not even sure what it's exactly called. You'll have to tell me, but, um, this has got vanilla pear and Prosecco. And I am like, wow, it says it's a wintry Haven. I'm like, this sounds amazing. So you do two whole vanilla beans split up two pears chopped up stems and seeds removed, obviously three cups of water, two tablespoons of sugar, two tablespoons of lemon and Prosecco. Yeah, I don't think it has a name, but doesn't it sound really good? I don't know if oh. it's um, if it's like New Year's or what, but I'm really just into bubbly. I want something bubbly all the time. But um, yeah. And then have you ever had a Harry and David pear? My mom no. gets them for Christmas. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to send you some. Please. So they're like the best pears, and my son loves pears. Pears and apples. I don't really know why. So we buy a lot of pears nowadays. Aww. So this fits like right in, I feel like. Bubbly yeah. pears. I'm like, this is my whole life right now. Just steal a pear from Hudson and make yourself a fancy drink. <laughs> I'm going to. <laughs> no, this sounds delicious. I love vanilla everything and paired with the pear and like the champagne prosecco bubbly. Mm, delicious. Mm-hmm. Can't wait. Do you so, have some fun news for us? I do. Okay. So of course I know you saw because everyone in the world who has a Facebook account and knows a one horse in their lifetime has seen the freaking 52 thoroughbreds you need homes haunting posts that just won't die started in 2011 and it came back. I mean, you saw it, right? Just did somebody tag you in a post? No, I saw someone that was like, some. I didn't get tagged in it, thankfully, but I didn't understand the 2011 post. I will have to admit, I kind of was a little bit like, I don't know what's happening there. So then when it came back, I was kind of glad, like I got to see everything. So <laughs> it was great. Well, no, it gets way better. So then I saw this one post on Facebook and they said, 
okay, if you have an ex-boyfriend or somebody you really hate, text me their number and a thousand dollars and I'll put that post like with their number on it. And I was oh like, how awesome would that be? Oh my gosh. That and is I pretty funny. Like, That's amazing. So in spirit of it, I actually, I never understood the shirt that I had that was like, yes, all the, you know, the heels down happy hour shirt that says, yes, all the 52 thoroughbreds got freed. So it. Oh my God. So you have the, you have the t-shirt you didn't even know? No, I didn't really understand what the t-shirt was. I was like, sure, that makes sense. I had no clue what it meant. I'm not going to lie. Oh my God. But it looked like a cool shirt. So I said, yeah, why not? So anyways, in spirit of it, I wore it for dinner last night that I was cooking at my house and Jan Benny, my coach was in town and Doug and Doug goes, what does that shirt even mean? I've never understood it. And I could finally explain it to him. I was oh my so proud gosh. Of <laughs> that is the best story ever. Oh my gosh. That's I feel hilarious. like that takes over the whole news items. <laughs> I know. Um, well, so I'm, I'm. I want to plug that. Yes, we have our own t-shirts and one of them is, um, it says, yes, all 52 thoroughbreds found homes. And it's really funny because it's related to this crazy Facebook post that just came back. So that I was glad for, because now I can wear my shirt and understand it. <laughs> so if you want one of your own, you can go to heelstownmag.com slash shop. And we also have a few others that are really great and funny, maybe What's more easier to I don't know. I like this one, but I think I also like the warm up ring expert. Oh, that's my other one I have. And I do what I do know what that one means because I wear that one more. <laughs> so, I feel like that's like my like definition of life. Like I love it. I'm like a warm up ring expert. Gotta go. Ready? I can win the warm up every time. Oh my gosh. I love it. So, anyways, yeah. you guys can get your own at our website, heelsdownmag.com. So Jess, and I don't know. So if- funny news. I have yeah. a not as funny one. Um, so in 2019, and I'm still trying to like wrap my head around this because right now it's stating that it's just for show jumping okay. that the FEI has released these new updated rules for 2019. And right now it's stating for show jumping only usually eventing kind of follows with show jumping, but we haven't kind of heard if they're going to or not. I'm not going to lie. I called my mother-in-law and she still didn't know. So, and she does a lot of FBI stuff. So I'm just going to believe that just because I didn't hear it and she didn't hear it. Maybe we're still not completely out of the loop, but definitely for show jumping, which still applies to us, like we do uh, have the FBI show jump forces that you can't use new. And I feel like everybody's going to interpret this rule a bit differently, but you can't use pinch hinds. Essentially. They're basically going to, in the next couple of years that you have to just wear hind boots for protective purposes. So in young, uh, jumper classes, you can't use any of the Velcro that kind of roll back or any of the Dodo boots or any of those. So that's kind of where the FEI is pushing all the rules to. So, so why? Like why, why did they not want you to wear those boots? They're feeling that the boots enhance the hind end and help the hind end out. And yes, Uh, most of the boots do. So they're like saying, okay, no, you know, we want to make sure that they're not enhancing any part of it. So if you use pinch hinds that make the horses, you know, kick out higher, they're basically going to ban it for the FEI. So they're saying, this is not what we're going to do. You can use very simple, plain hinds, fleece skin hinds are fine, but they are going away from, it definitely says in there that you can't use the ones, the Velcro that wrap all the way around the backside. Like those are hundred percent, like are not going to be able to be used. We use, um, a lot of times like the Veritas makes a kind of like Velcro that pulls back and it is a little in a gray area. If we're going to be able to use those for FEI for show jumping and, you know, a lot of our event horses wear them because, you know, they get tired or whatever. And a lot of event horses don't have as nice of hind ends because with jumping, you don't want them to kick out so high. I mean, that's honestly why we moved one of ours to a show jumper because he just kicked out so high that when like Doug would drop into water or anything else, like he basically would like almost flip over. So he's so careful, right? He'd just like follow through too much. Right, right. That's what those boots you would, I mean, you would never put a boot on like that kind of horse. Like he doesn't need it, but some of the ones that just aren't natural behind that kind of just helps them out a little bit. So that makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting that they kind of 
decided to go away from it, which sucks, but it is what it is. I guess we'll have to do with it. And if everybody's having to deal with it, so I guess that's fine. (laughs) Are people complaining? Are you hearing any feedback from it or so new and there hasn't been an FEI event yet. So I don't, I don't think we'll hear it for a couple months, whether, and it's going to be how a lot of the stewards interpret the rule. All of it, right. You know, like they came out and everybody freaked out when the FEI um, made you cover up a lot of the patches for sponsors or whatever for dressage and some stewards like didn't care and other stewards cared some of the time like it's it's kind of weird it's like what they decide basically right we'll we'll just have to stay tuned in interesting well our last news item i figured just you and i could just talk about it together so you know how the chronicle of the horse they do they have like that long-standing behind the stall door segment that, that, that they always do with you know famous horses of yes van diver got van diver got interviewed he i was saw one of the top ones i saw so they do at the end of the year they do a ranking of like who what were the top viewed ones essentially like the the reader favorites so they let everybody pick and i see that van diver is on this list he made the top 10 he's number six he did he's so stinking cute he is i was gonna say he's very handsome in this and he, those ears he's got mm-hmm. the biggest ears <laughs> Poor thing. but there are a lot of like pretty famous horses on this list from yeah. you know very famous writers uh, i mean like bc's horses are on here clinta's on here which is mclean ward's horse obviously but uh, what I love about it is the number one like reader's pick was Smushy, which is Kaylee Kuko's uh, rescue yes. dwarf mini, and I think she got her that mini from the Peeps Foundation, which is a wonderful organization that rescues mini horses and rehabs them and puts them in homes. Well, you know, we um, went to the Peeps found we went to the Peeps Foundation. I took Hudson to let go when we were in Kentucky. Um, oh my god! Yeah, a good friend, like a good friend of ours, started the Peeps Foundation, and he's always been so kind and everything. And I hadn't seen him in a while, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, you have a son!" And I was like, "Yep, that's where I've been lately." And he's like, "You have to take him over and see all the animals, and they have." miniature cows, miniature, like all the miniature ponies that they've rescued. And some have come from like terrible situations and that's what they've done. And they rehome them and Smushy is one of them. Yeah, no. So we wrote a story about them too in Heelstown Magazine, not last year, probably the year before. And that was like one of my favorite photo shoots we ever did because they're all so stinking cute, but they had like goats and a llama and all kinds of animals. And oh, it's just a wonderful foundation. But I just love the fact that Smooshy beat out like these Olympic level horses that are beautiful and everyone knows them. They're like household names in the industry and it's Smooshy who's number one. I love it. I'm going to have to share in the Facebook group, the Heels Down Happy Hour Lounge. I'll have to share the picture of Hudson when he went to the Peeps Foundation. It's so, so cute. Oh my gosh. You definitely have to share it. I will. So, so if you want, want to hear more news and commentary from us at Heels Down Mag, make sure you're subscribed to the Heels Down Brief, which is our weekday email newsletter. We share all kinds of super fun and interesting stories, uh, not just what we publish on our own platforms, but news from all over and not just horse news, interesting science and health and funny viral stories, um, all kinds of fun stuff. And we also are featuring really cool, exclusive um, one-on-one interviews with riders in the brief these days that you'll only get in our newsletter. And we also share our stories that publish on our website, heelsdownmag.com. We share them with you first in the in the email newsletter. So sign up for the Heels Down Brief at bit.ly slash hdbrief. So Jess, I have a question for you. Do you okay. do you ride in tall boots or do you ride in this is probably like full on chaps? I feel like no one does that anymore. Or do you I ride? I saw someone in- the other day in full on chaps actually, and I was like shocked. But I ride in tall boots. Do you? So you're not a half chap person. I can't find unless you can convert me. I can't find ones that like stay up. Like after two three months, like they stretch and they fall down. Huh. That's interesting. Wow. So I, I've been writing it. I don't know. Like I growing up, I remember when cha- like full on chaps were cool and I did that. And then I switched to half chaps when they were cool. And I've just never grown out of that phase. But I do know like younger riders at my barn, they all wear their tall boots to ride every day. And I look at them and go, how do you keep them clean for horse shows? You know, I, I'm sure they have a show pair, but 
Also, I, I love my tall boots, but I feel like they're the most uncomfortable things ever to walk around in in the barn. So I've always just stuck with paddock boots and half chaps. And I just got a pair of the new Smart Pack half chaps. They're called the Eliza half chaps. Okay. And, and they're awesome. You know, I've always kind of gone for like cheaper half chaps and just wear through them and then get new ones. But these are these are nice. And they're priced at $89. Um, they, and Smart Pack has deals, so you could probably get them a little bit cheaper. But they're real leather. It's real soft, contoured leather. Uh, the stretch is great. And I always worry about, get, you know, sizing with half chaps. Like, yeah. same thing with tall boots. It's really hard to find something that customized that, like, fits you and looks good. And Smart Pack got it right the first time. Like, I ordered them and I sized them really? based on their, yeah, based on their guide on their website. And right, they fit me perfectly. Um, and what I like about these specific half chaps is they have a hardcore heavy duty zipper because that's not it always sucks when your zipper blows out right on your boots or your half chaps and so this pair has a really really heavy duty zipper and it it's built to last and it's proven that and the snaps are good I've had them for a couple weeks now and I am not light on them like I'm riding several horses in them they're getting wet from the hose and they're they are just standing up to the test of time and so far they've not fallen down so that's pretty impressive. So uh, I would, once you've had it for a bit, I really want to hear an update on them. All right. I might have to send you a pair. I was going to say, you might, you might have to convert me. Cause they're awesome. They're super easy. I really like them a lot. I, I honestly can't tell you a, a pair of half chaps that I probably like better. And I've bought nice. a lot in my lifetime. So wow. yeah. So if you guys want to check them out, obviously go to smart packs website. And again, they're called the Eliza half chaps. All right, guys, so we have a really special guest on the show t- today. Her name is Kerrigan Gulk, and she is a dressage rider here in the U.S., and she's been part of the Discover Dressage USCF and USDF Emerging Athlete Program since March with her three horses. She competed at the North American Youth Championships, where she earned an individual freestyle bronze medal in 2015, and she also competed in 2016 in the European Tour for the U.S. Young Riders, and she's had many successful USEF Dressage National Championships in the FBI age divisions over the years. And I know you also competed overseas as a U25 rider this year. So welcome, Kerrigan. We're so happy to have you. Hi, it's nice to be on. Happy to do it. Thank you. So I, we're really interested in talking to you about what you've learned and, and kind of what the experience is like for some of these development programs. You know, we hear the USCF and we hear USDF and other, you know, eventing, hunter-jumper disciplines all have these programs to really try to elevate young riders. Um, and since you've been been working through the Emerging Athlete Program last year, I'd love to know more about your experience, like how you got started and and and. Was it really worth it and how it's paid off for your career so far? Yeah, absolutely. Well, my dressage career really started with a Dressage for Kids program. At a young age, I think I was maybe 12 or 13. And the Dressage for Kids program allowed me to get involved with programs like the Emerging Athlete Program um, because of London Gray. And it gave me the opportunities to ride with London and other trainers of of her level, even though I didn't have maybe the money to travel or this big expensive horse, I was always given opportunities through the program, which the Dressage for Kids program led me to the Emerging Athlete program and the Robert Dover Horse Mastership Clinic. And then last, last year when they launched the Emerging Athlete program. So it really has been kind of a stepping stone through the youth programs that the Federation has generously like figured out um, as well uh-huh. as the dressage for kids. Yeah, it was really just a stepping stone, getting better training with different people. And then the emerging athlete program obviously is kind of the top of what the youth division offers right now. Um, it's the top athletes, top horse, horse and rider combinations, all coming together for various clinics around the, the states and training with the top trainers in the country. So I don't think you can get much better than that. <laughs> That's no, awesome. not at all. <laughs> wow. So obviously a lot of people see dressage as a base for all riding, just as an eventer. And obviously dressage plays a component in event 
ting, but also I grew up riding in the hunters and we still use a lot of dressage components. So, you know, we have, a, we, have we have listeners who ride all different types of horses and all different types of disciplines. And I was wondering if you can make a good case on why developing good flat work is so important. Yeah, flat work is definitely important. I'm not super familiar with other aspects of the discipline. The discipline, I grew up starting with jumpers and kind of a little bit of jumping, but jumping scares me, so that's why I stopped. <laughs> um, but I remember the basis is all the same. No matter what level you're at in dressage, you always have to have basic movements. You have to be able to obviously turn the horse and stop the horse and and go as fast or as slow as you'd like. And the horse and rider have to be connected on an emotional level, I think, and a physical level. So I think if you carry all of those things over to any discipline you're doing, you're on the right track for success. Um, I think it's Dressage sometimes is always thought of as Grand Prix, but there really is a lot of small little details that really are so simple, but really make the picture amazing. And those are the details that every rider, no matter what discipline it is, has to do. So something that I think a lot of riders struggle with is understanding feel. Like when you are riding, how do you, how do you understand, like maintaining a feel of your horse I know this is a complicated question to ask you to answer, but can you try to describe what that means, like riding with feel, and how do you achieve and maintain that? Yeah, for me personally, I think feel has to do with your connection with the horse. If you feel that what you're doing in the saddle is making a positive reaction with the horse or a positive correction, then you have the correct feel. I think when you don't feel like you're getting anywhere you don't feel like you're improving or maybe a roadblock then I think you need to take a step back and think maybe what am I feeling or what can I do differently and to maintain it that's a a very difficult question Um, but I think I just always think of it as the connection with the horse if you're feeling in your hands and if you're in your body that the horse is happy the horse is willing to go forward the horse physically feels good then you just should continue that feel you have and, and trying your best not to lose it. <laughs> oh, that's great. So I have a question. So with eventing and everything else, like we kind of have like a end goal of the season with it being like kind of a long format or short format CCI for us. So what yeah. I was wondering is like with, I mean, obviously I do dressage with eventing, but I don't do like proper dressage. Like when you're planning out your like show season, do you guys break it up into spring and fall as well? Do you have kind of like a main one that you're going to? Cause obviously you can do a lot more than us with the lo- than the long format. So like kind of tell us like, what do you do as a weekly schedule, like a monthly seasonal schedule, kind of go through what, what you guys kind of think. Yeah. Well, it kind of depends on where you're based, I think, in the country or the world, I guess, for your show schedule. I know if, for me personally, I'm based in Wellington in the winters, so that kind of flip-flops our show season as opposed to someone that is in the north um, all year round. Um, So for me, normally the summers and early fall, like late summer, early fall is kind of our break period where horses really just relax and take a step back from the competitions and recuperate and and hopefully gain all their energy back needed for the season and then the wellington season starts i normally arrive to wellington in october early october and then the actual cdi competitions start in january so from january to the end of march early april there are basically shows every weekend if you wanted to but really, the fall is, is, for me, trying to build the horses up physically and mentally to be able to handle the three-month season. That is really important for their physical health and keeping everything fresh, keeping their minds happy to work, I think is a big part of it. Because season is very difficult, very demanding here in Wellington. And then after the Wellington season, I've been fortunate enough to be able to go to Europe a couple of times. So depending on if that happens... The European tour starts in the spring, and normally it's about two months. And then 
the peak show season is pretty much over after that for me anyway that's okay. moment yeah. in my training and career and then it's just a cycle over and over again um, <laughs> keeps going back <laughs> yep just same routine for like a weekly schedule um my horses work and normally in the saddle six days a week they have one day off completely off just in turnout being horses and one day is just going out on the trails and hacking and then the rest of the days is very I vary the work some days in the arena some days working outside the arena uh Cavalettis along in Wellington we have awesome trails along the canals I like to work out outside of the ring like I said to keep their brain as kind of stimulated as possible and as far as when I'm getting ready for a competition I Normally, try to when I plan the competition, I try to pick the peak day I want the horse to be. Like middle of competition, I want him to be at the top of his game. So then, I count backwards about a week. I would say a week to ten days. Like I look at the calendar and say, okay, I'd like eight days to prepare to make sure the horse is one hundred percent ready. So then I kind of then I'll schedule the horse's day off. I'll schedule the horse's walk day. So then the horse builds up slowly to the day of the competition that I need him. And then I don't stress him. I don't overwork him. He's trying to keep the same schedule for him as, as I can. So it doesn't, it doesn't add any stress. It doesn't add anything out of the ordinary. That's when problems happen. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. That's really interesting. Yeah. And Kerrigan, so our last question for you is, um, do you have any like go-to horse care tricks or any like barn hacks that you just love that you always use? Well, I actually kind of have a weird one for myself. (laughs) (laughs) In Florida, most of the time it's very hot and sticky. So for like the the tack and my breeches are always kind of sweaty and and awfully gross. So you stick to the saddle really well. And for dressage, it's really important that you stick in the saddle (laughs) because (laughs) it's not, it's not good. So if it's cold, I always, it's very weird, I know, but I always wet the inside of my breeches before I compete or if I have like a really hard, hard ride ahead of me. So I know that I'm stuck to the saddle. Oh, wow. Um, so like you get consider that like you use hack, like a, but, like but, a, a wet washcloth or something just to like wet the whole inside of your breeches. So they're damp or how wet are they? Yep. Oh, oh they're pretty oh. damp. They're pretty damp. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's very strange i know and then as far as like horse care i actually have a horse that's pretty sensitive skin he's a gray so everything irritates his skin so i always just try to keep them as dry and as as clean as possible because in florida in particular the humidity and flies and moisture is really bad for their legs (laughs) so just keeping their legs as dry as possible is my go-to tip for horse care. <laughs> awesome. Well, Kerrigan, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was so nice to talk with you. No Thank problem. You. Thank you for having me. So Jess, I think this is the first time we're ever going to have Patricia on the show. Patricia is our boss. Essentially, she's the CEO of Heels Down Media. She makes this show possible and she's wonderful. And she is launching a new super cool entrepreneur program for business owners in the horse world. And I'm going to let her tell us a little bit more about it. So Patricia, why don't you tell me about this new program you're hosting called The Circle? I saw it on your website. Yeah, it's super cool. So it's a very exclusive program for entrepreneurs or whether they're writers or it's people that have small businesses or big businesses, any size of business. And what it is, it's it's a circle of entrepreneurs, eight entrepreneurs in non-competing businesses are going to, to become part of this, this group and I'll facilitate. And it's a, it's a very structured results-driven program. People meet once a month. The goal is really to help each other progress. So it's people that are serious about reaching their goals. And sometimes when you're an, an entrepreneur, you're on your own. You don't have a lot of other people that are your peers to bounce ideas uh, right. of. So this is really met so that you have that accountability, you have that progress, and people really challenge you to become better. It's something that I've implemented in other in other spheres of my life. And it's very, very valuable. And it's not like a social 
meeting where you go and you just talk about your business and it's all fluff. Like it's really hardcore. You go deep and you learn and you you get challenged and you make awesome changes. And it, it's really almost like in the, in the horse world, like your coach, like giving you a clinic or like going deep mm -hmm. and you, you go home and you go, Oh my gosh, like I learned so much. I had all these epiphanies. So it definitely sounds like a boot camp, like a boot camp for entrepreneurs, people who are in the horse world and have their own business and really want to collaborate with other like-minded people to, to really see results and hold themselves accountable and really like build up their business, right? Yes. yes. And everything, all discussions are confidential. I wouldn't say a boot camp. It's a little bit more less. More fun than that. Yeah. More fun than that. But I think just getting eight people around a table that can help you and mm -hmm. can pick you up when you're down and can can and can say hey I've tried that and it doesn't work so you know can can really avoid uh making big money mistakes especially if it's a new market or if it's something a new product that you're trying to put in the market sometimes or you're changing from a different structure you don't know a little bit where you're going or you think you, this is going to work but you're not sure it just like solidifies your plan and it's it's really great and you have almost like like a brotherhood of people that you can count on, that you can call and compare notes, and it creates these bonds. It's really a great, great program, and I'm bringing it to the equestrian market. And so far, the response has been great. So it's called The Circle. It's one meeting per month. You have to commit to that. It's all done by Skype or remotely, so we don't have to be physically in the same location, which is great for this industry because everyone travels all the time. The details can be found. We'll put the link in the podcast, right? But sure. It's heelsdownmedia.com. Go on the menu and look for The Circle and apply to get in The Circle. Sounds awesome. I'm so excited to welcome our next guest, Devin Ryan, who grew up with Doug actually in New Jersey, and I became friends with him as well through Doug, obviously. But he is a Grand Prix show jumper who was part of our 2018 WEG gold medal team. Congrats, by the way. And he has a beautiful farm in Long Valley, New Jersey. And a fun fact about Devin is he actually started eventing first before he got the bug to show jumps. So wow. Welcome, Devin. Hello. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Good. So question, um, describe what it was like when you realized that you guys had like won the gold medal team for WEG and what it was like for your team experience. Oh, good question. Well, in the moment... <laughs> It didn't really hit me. It was more after the leg that it really uh, set in. I was like, wow, it's, you know, became part of history. You know, it's very, uh, as I was told, it's sort of 1% of the country gets to do it each year. Those four riders represent 1% of the U.S. show jumping team. And so that's wow. really when I think it really like sort of set in there and only happens every four years, these major championships like the WEGS and Olympics. And so didn't really set in until WEGS was over. When you're there in the moment, so much is going on, so much is going through your head. And like, I, I didn't have, I thought maybe the best performance that I had all season there. And so those type of things as a competitor, you know, you're always wanting to do better than your last time you won the ring. <laughs> so I sort of had that going through my head, but to be part of that and uh, put in a good solid performance for the team, um, it was pretty exciting. I mean, you were a hundred percent part of that team. So oh, it was yeah. pretty impressive to go watch and we were all cheering for you. And speaking of cheering, I thought it was the cutest thing. We were there all cheering for you. And so was your family, your dad and who else in your family came again? My brother and sister and sister-in-law, my brother's oh, wife. That's awesome. Cause it was so cute. Like your dad was the cutest thing, just cheering. And what was it like that your family actually, you know, we were so lucky that it was in Tryon and in the States, but what was it like that they actually could be part of that experience with you? You know, I guess in the sport in general, we, we travel so much. So we're all over the place, especially at the upper levels traveling the A circuit. So it's not like we're just in our backyard all the time, like growing up doing other sports, you know, parents, you go to the local games and my parents were always active and came and watched me play football and lacrosse and basketball and did wrestling. And me and my brothers and sisters were very into swimming. So my mom was often driving us to swim practice and all those things. And so it's very, really, especially my brother and sisters. Now they have their families. I have my nieces and nephews. There's five of them. And so they just don't get to travel so much. So when we have a local show in Princeton, occasionally they get to come and watch. And um, just my dad's also now that I where I've gotten this level and showing my dad's a little bit older. So it's hard for him to travel. So 
it was actually huge that my whole family, they really, uh, they took off time from work, found babysitters, did all wow. this, and made a big move. So it was, we are very close as a family and we spend all our holidays and everything together. So it was very, it was very big and exciting that they were all actually there for, you know, this, like I said, it doesn't come that 1% to be part of that every four years doesn't really uh, come across too often. As I say, your stars have to all line up. And so for that all to come and happen and then for them to all be there on top of it was pretty special. Oh, that's so sweet. To switch gears and ask you a more serious kind of training question, Uh, since it's 2019, we get a lot of listeners who are really interested in like setting their goals and how they're going to train and show this year. So I would love to hear, Devin, like, how do you set your own goals for the year or even bigger than that um, and work backward to achieve those? Right. I mean, I always like setting goals. You know, it's one thing. It's like usually under every rider, there's many horses. It's not one horse and many riders. So I'm always planning my goals around all my horses. I have a lot of young horses. I have a few older, more experienced horses now. So it always, I mean, I have my own personal goals as a rider and also being an instructor, I also have my students' goals. So it's trying to balance it all. But, you know, in the end, as a rider and competing in the sport and spending time in the show ring, I mean, obviously my uh, biggest goals for myself right now are my, my personal goals are me and my riding at the top of the sport. Yes, I love developing my horses and I have a huge passion for that. But I do all that in order to spend time in the ring. So you know, setting my goals going forward each year, I really sit down and look at each horse and their needs. Like for instance, like Eddie Blue has been, you know, quite a special horse in my career and that really put me on the map over the past year and a half. And, you know, for instance, for him, this is, you know, going to be 2019. I plan on being sort of a lighter year for him because he's such a special horse and he's proven that he can he's a real championship horse and doing, producing a lot of clean rounds, the biggest uh, sport. Mm-hmm. of the sport that uh i don't in 2018 you know we had a goal of trying you know one day at a time you know picking certain shows producing clear rounds and then going forward because it's not a championship year this year for him and that would be really his goals would be try to gearing him say towards the next championship olympics is taking a little easy this year so even though i have such a great horse i, I don't want to use him up i don't want to waste him i mean he's he's no different than a person you can't just go 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 every day you have to really pick and choose and then, you know, leaning towards young horses. I mean, I always, you know, have a season, usually gear them up towards the young horse finals and then let them wind down at the end of the year and give them a nice break. That's awesome. That's interesting. I've never heard a top rider say that they're going to ease off their, you know, their their main horse or like their top horse. So I think that's really interesting to hear how you plan that way. I think it's like a lot of sports, you know, hear trainers talk about tapers, even with, mm-hmm. you know, lift, lifting and running and doesn't matter what it is. And I grew up doing all different sports and I always really believed in that, that yes, you can't just sit on the sidelines and jump into the heat of it and think you're going to be on the tip of your game. You sort of have to be in it and doing it a little bit, but you have to have your downtime. Sure. You have to have your training time for fitness. And then you also have to have your, you know, your, you know, on the field time and in the ring time. So, you know, with the horses, I always try when I'm looking at it, I expect them coming home from a show and having a good week to two weeks of almost nothing, like really, really light. It's still moving, but tend to not lose their fitness for at least 30 days. But if a horse is that's moving and staying active at the walk and stuff really doesn't lose much fitness in a month. So I always think that they need their downtime, but then they also need time to say work on their cardio and then they need also a little bit of time, I believe, each before each show to also just take a breather, relax and everything, freshen up a little bit because there's nothing. I mean, the best thing, I think, for any horse or athlete to stay fresh is rest. I mean, taking Advil and using Butte and things like no, that. No, absolutely. Make, I mean, we all feel that. Absolutely. Me- that's mentally, that, <laughs> exactly. yeah, that's absolutely. mentally would- not going to fix you. It's just like people need sometimes a little break, a little getaway, a little vacation. I think horse same thing from the show ring, the traveling on the road. So I found that's a huge part of my discipline, like leading last year, going into Florida, Eddie blue did not jump a jump for two and a half months. He didn't even step over Cavaletti on the ground. Really? Wow. As a big athlete. So I really rested him knowing this could be a huge year for him 
going into 2018. So at the end in the fall, I really rested him after indoors. I finished up in Kentucky. He didn't jump a jump until uh, the middle of January in Ocala. I didn't even jump school at home. I said, you know what? His his schooling jumps are going to be in the show ring. His warm up jump, like wow. his. I really, really saved them and said I wanted him to peak towards World Cup finals. That was my goal. Awesome. So then I slowly built him up. And as he saw, as we got closer, he just started to really come into form. And then obviously this year he was great at World Cup finals, being the only horse to jump clean all the way through. And uh, then he went on to have a great summer. So I think part of that is huge that you have to have that these horses, especially at the top of the sport, they need that. They need that downtime, and they just can't go, 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 go. They only have so many of those big jumps, so many big efforts. Because eventually, too, like like people, you know, sometimes even though it's maybe that's their passion, what they do, they can also get a little burnout doing it. <laughs> well, and you're so little... good. You're so good at developing like the young horses. Like you've done a numerous amounts of young horses. Like I mean, we all know that. Like everybody that knows Devin, like he's got a great eye for the young horses too. Like. What's your favorite part of developing them though? Like you're so good at like the thinking about what's good for them, but what's your favorite part of bringing them up? My favorite part is, is like, to me is there's just like, no, there's no pressure. You go, you go out there and you, I always say like, I try to treat every one of them. I try to treat them all the same, even though they're different individually and mentally. Like when I train them and stuff, I treat them the same. I don't favor one or the other. I say I don't care if one is more talent or less talent because sometimes the one with less talent might have more heart and they might fight for you in the end a little bit more or something along those lines. So I have a mentality. Like that's what I love about it. I just train each one. I don't set high expectations on them. Um, I and when they're not, you know, doing like you go out and say you purchase young horse. Like wow, I think this could be a really good one. And then you bring them home and a couple months later, they're just not the same as when you tried. And you're like, oh, just like I think kids probably. I mean, I don't have kids personally, <laughs> but growing up <laughs> and watching them, I would think it would be it would be no different. Sort of like good parenting. Like I feel like every one of those is like a kid of mine. I have to my goal is to give build, give them a uh, good education, give them confidence why I want them to like their job and I want them to hate their job. So you have to also know when to back off a little bit when you're, you know, sometimes we, we have, you know, as riders, we put this high expectation and we think they're going to get it and they're going to get it. So they're not getting it. So we push them harder and push them harder. Sometimes they just need time. So yeah. you just have to let time, you know, do its thing and uh, be patient. That's a big, and I think that all sums it up is just being patient with them and believe in them. I think every one of them, there's so many horses that have come to the barn that, some people think are normal horses or that. And I've gotten way more. I'm just being patient with them, just giving them time. And when every horse is going to have their weakness and it's trying to find those weaknesses and work on each one of them, even with the young ones, uh, certain gymnastics, you have to change it per horse. You can't just say, oh, what's some people ask me, what's your favorite gymnastic? I said, my favorite one is what the horse needs really <laughs> the horse at the end uses. of the day. Yeah. You know, wow. it's in, in every horse is, you know, is different. I mean, that's, I think that's one of the cool things is everyone we get on. It's it's a challenge. They challenge you in different ways or they teach you something. Honestly, like I find every time I ride a young horse, everyone I think teaches me something over time. Some are definitely way easier than others, but so many teach you different things and just reading them and listening to the horses a little bit. Well, Devin, you make me feel better as an amateur <laughs> trying to bring along a young green horse, like, holy moly. Okay. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> so I, we wrote a a story about you in our December issue of Hillstone Magazine, and uh, when I read that, when I was editing it, I heard this story. I read this story that you told Sally, uh, a writer and editor at the magazine. So when you first were going to go meet with George Morris to work with him, I guess you slept inside a tent, and not just for like one day, but for like weeks, right, outside of a firehouse at Lake Placid. <laughs> right, it was pretty close to the story there. Yeah, no, I. Uh... I went and took a few lessons with George and then we was looking for a working student job for myself for the summer. And my mother had mentioned about maybe me doing a working student job to George with Nona Garson. And, and how old, how old were you at that time? I was 16. Oh, wow. And okay. so at the time I had, we have a piece of property here in New Jersey and I was able to get my farmer's license. So I was 16. So I was, I got my license earlier before all my friends and everything in high school. And I was allowed to drive, pickup truck that had farmer plates on it. I used to tow my horse two horse trailer around with it 
And George said, yeah, well, maybe we could use Devin here at Hunterdon. He's like, meet us in Lake Placid and start there. Start as a working student job there. And at that point, I'd never even been to an A-rated show, let alone just a jumper show only. I like as Jess was saying, like I, I did pony club and eventing. I went to events and I did pony club and I competed and I did. I never went to a jumper show in my life. So my parents drove up with me, followed behind me. And when I was 16 and brought me up, we went up to Lake Placid with my horse and Parked the trailer, unloaded the horse, met Chris Kapler for his first time up there. Wow. And <laughs> they, when I was meeting everybody else at home in the George's place, they went off to the local firehouse and found that was that was sort of the local, the closest campgrounds to the showgrounds. And they asked, you know, if we could pitch a tent there for the week. And the, the, actually, my mommy came backwards and sort of laughed. She's like, oh, the fire, you know, the the gentleman there at the fire department said that they're, they they said, uh, you can pitch your tent underneath the pavilion because they were uh, afraid if I didn't pitch my tent on the pavilion, the rainstorms can be and thunderstorms can be so crazy up there in the mountains in the summer. They said that your, my tent wouldn't survive. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so my mom was always my, you know, my dad spent a lot of time in the, uh, in uh, Vietnam and he spent a lot of time out in the woods. And my mom was a big, avid camper, went, you know, backpacking across the country and everything and was, ski, you know, and did a lot of skiing and out-of-bounds skiing. Thing. Everybody in my family was used to living out of a tent and doing things like that. So we we're like, yeah, whatever. Who cares? The thunderstorm's a thunderstorm. So oh I my pitched gosh. my tent there for two weeks and I just, that was it. I, Chris Kapler didn't have a clue that I was staying in a tent. Oh my god! There, I don't. I don't think. Actually, I don't think anybody did. Nobody really asked me. I don't think I was a new kid on the block. <laughs> they didn't care where outside. you stayed. They're like, you must no. be covered. They think I was like everybody else, just staying at the hotel up in town or something, right? The motel hotel and doing the thing. And I used to actually. My mother went to the horse show office and asked them if there was any showers on the showgrounds. And actually, on the Lake Placid showgrounds near the vet office, there's a, a this sort of a uh, one of those sort of locker room type showers. It's a row of stalls. And it was just filled with stuff. And I had to go into the shower stalls and I had to clear out a bunch of folding chairs from one of the shower stalls so I could use it. And the hot, the water wasn't turned on. I had to go and find the watershed myself in the middle of the night and figure out how to turn on the water. And then I found out how to turn on the hot water heater. And I swear that water ran for like an hour, like brown and rusty for hours. And that was like, but eventually it did work and it wasn't so bad. I had my tent and I had a hot shower every night and, uh, I'm still here to tell the story. So you were good to so go. <laughs> and you got, and you ended up getting a job for George Morris, right? Like it worked out in the end. Yeah. So I did two, I spent two years as a working student there where I guess worked on my training. I worked every, oh, every single day except for Mondays. And I would drive there because Hunterdon was only a half hour from my place in New Jersey. So I drive there every single day for two years. I did it. And when they went to Florida, um, Chris Kappa at the time had a customer and they had shell core breeding at the lower barn. So in the winters, when I was done with school, because I was still in school, when I, you know, on the weekends, I would go just on the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, I'd go and I worked at the lower barn, shell core breeding, just helping out and cleaning things and being a gopher, so to speak. Yeah, so I did that for two years. And then they put me on the payroll. Wow. There, and I became, and I worked there for two more years until I headed off to Europe. <laughs> so Devin, you, uh, I mean, that's amazing. And I, it sounds like you have super supportive parents, but it's not like you came from this super wealthy family. Like you really had to like earn it yourself, which I think is pretty unique in the sport. And I think a lot of people can find your story relatable and inspirational. And can you tell me about that? Cause I mean, I feel yeah, like I you mean, by you no had to work means. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody works hard in their own ways. Right. So I, I mean, my parents by no means were poor. But they were, I was one of four kids, and they did the best we could. And one of my mm -hmm. first vehicles was an old van from my dad's construction company. I had the, it was rusty, and I sanded it and painted it myself if I wanted a vehicle and have a nice. But, yeah, I was able to have a vehicle. And, you know, my, my first horse, you know, wasn't the most expensive horse. We I think, honestly, we paid 18000 for it. And that was the first real horse. We had a couple horses before that that were free leases and horses that came, I, we paid $50 for and they came with their instructions and medications <laughs> and stuff like that. So that was a gradual thing. It was, it was pretty hard to convince my father to spend any sort of money on an animal like that. He just didn't understand. There, I didn't come from a horse family at all. It wasn't, uh, it, was, it was totally something new. 
So to get my father to the point that where my mother convinced my father to spend 18 grand on a horse was huge. That was a big, big investment. You know, it was something they never did for anybody. So I was very grateful that they did that. And since then, they never dropped a penny on a horse. You know, that was the last they ever spent on a horse. And I think that was when I was, I was like, yeah, it was around 15, 16 when they did that. And since, and ever since, and they never dropped another penny. So like I said, they're always there to support. They paid my horse show entries and things like that. But um, like I said, I had to work for my lessons. And often in the summer and things like that, my parents, uh, we I had to work for my father. So, and I didn't get paid for doing that. So I think that was a way that they sort of repaid us as we worked hard for them and did things that, yeah, maybe we didn't get a paycheck every week, like working down at the local store or restaurant or ice cream shop in the summer, like some kids do. But they paid me in a different way by, you know, purchasing a horse for me and paying for horse show entries. So real quick before, you know, we kind of close it up. What would you say would be like an inspirational quote for, you know, starting the new year and everything else for kids that are starting to make it, like trying to make it, trying to get up there? What would you tell 15-year-old, 16-year-old Devin? Put you on no, the spot. I've been, I've, no, I've been asked that one numerous times and it's always hard to just give, I think, the perfect answer. Like, because you know, the easy answer would say, would be say is, you know, you got to work hard. But every there's a lot of kids out there can work hard. Um, they're hard workers. But don't like I, I, a lot of people when I was like down going down the road there didn't ever think I was going to make it. A lot of people I worked for didn't maybe think I was going to work. And maybe I wasn't the most talented kid out there, but I wanted it so bad. So I would just say, if you want something, don't let anybody don't let anybody tell you you're not good enough or you can't do it because I had to believe in myself. And I think that's what my parents really taught me is to never give up and, you know, keep on working hard at it. And if I think if you really want something that you will, you will get there, but you just can't, you can't give up. I mean, you have to persevere and push. I mean, I used to like we said, I used to sleep out of my van and sleep in tents. I do different things just so I could afford to, get the mileage and the knowledge that I needed. That's awesome. So we're not going to let you go just yet because I've convinced Justine that you should stay on for, we have this game called Rose and Thorn and Rose is the best part of like your last couple weeks. And Thorn is your worst kind of what's happened. So we'll give you a couple minutes to think about it, but we want you to stay on and play if that's okay with you. All righty. All right, perfect. So, Justine, are you ready? Because I'm. Uh, not. Uh, is this supposed right. to be sort of funny, or is it? Oh, it's funny. It's funny. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's totally. Sort funny. of ridiculous. Yeah. Like Justine's oh, kind of a hipster, so it kind of goes a little bit of everywhere with her. <laughs> All right. So sure, I'll I'll use a hipster example for you, Jess. <laughs> so my my rose is that I am leaving. Uh, next week to go to Park City, I'm going skiing, which is fun. I'm from Florida, so it's nice to like get out of the you know the beautiful winters that we have in Florida, but see some snow. But it's also the Sundance Film Festival, which I've been to in the past, and I love it. And it's it's such oh. a fun time to be in this little tiny mountain town. So because there'll be like cool directors and actors, and you get to see interesting movies, um, and people dress like super bizarre. Like there's an Instagram account that just tracks like the bizarre outfits that people wear to the Sundance Film Festival. I'll have to share them with you, Jess, because they are like out there bizarro world. Oh my God. It's so it's my favorite part of going is like people watching. So That's amazing. So that is my rose. And I guess my thorn. Ooh. Maybe my thorn is that we have some sad news that Sally Spickard, our, our host on the show, who's normally with us, who is the person who interviewed you, Devin. She has got some new exciting career things going on. So she's leaving the magazine and leaving the, the show. So I know we had to we, we, we wanted to share this with our listeners, right, Jess, and that we're really going to miss Sally. <laughs> I know but, you stole my thorn. I was going to tell everybody. <laughs> I should have gone first. <laughs> it'll be, it's our shared thorn, okay? You could just okay. do a rose. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So my rose would be, uh, so since Hudson's been born, I kind of gave my young horse over to Doug for a while. And my preliminary horse has like become the size of a house. He's so fat. So <laughs> I haven't gone cross-country schooling or like even thought about going to a show, but I went cross country schooling today and it was so much fun. So I stole my young one back from Doug. Um, I thought, you know what, I'm taking him back. I'm going to keep him for a bit. So, I mean, he's still 
for sale sort of, but I was like, you know what, till he sells, I'm stealing him back. So I got to go cross country schooling and it was a lot of fun and I didn't fall off. So that's, that should be my like, you know, rose right there. <laughs> I haven't gone, I didn't even know where my cross country vest was. I haven't gone cross country schooling in almost two years. Wow. That's crazy. So I thought that was a really like good rose is that I made it. So <laughs> survived. <laughs> So, Devin, uh, have you thought and had enough time? Oh, man. Okay, well, I mean, well, my big, my rose right now is always this time of year. I mean, I love the holidays. It was a big always family thing. So Aww. I think it was huge that I always <laughs> bring it into my horses. I always take this time of year to spend time at home around the family, catch up because I spend so much time on the road. And so that's really like that's been my uh, big rose right now. Is just being able to spend the holidays season around home and spend time with the family and enjoy life a little bit, especially at my farm here. I guess I just love that part in this time of the year. Even with the weather and stuff, I, I wish there was a great indoor season up here. I would just stay here all year. <laughs> it's beautiful that time of year up there. I lo- like I do think it's so beautiful up there. Yeah. I guess my thorn would be leaving it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-huh. The thorn. Leaving the whole place. Having to Even go the down whole to place, Florida. Like, uh, you know, I, I love, you know, I love what I do and I love the horses. It's just a very fortunate. I got to do this for a living and have such a passion for it. You know, it's, yeah. uh, I think we're all very grateful to be able to spend time with these animals, but, um, to, yeah, leave my family and my, you know, close friends up here and, uh, to go down South. It's always hard every year. I always like, I'm building up, I actually leave the Saturday on the 12th and I head down to Florida for the season. It's always like, Oh, Man. I don't want to go. I don't want to do that drive going down there. I want to stay it, here. And... <laughs> it is a long one, too. That is yeah. a long one, yeah. You can always stop off in Aiken and come visit us, and you can come play with Hudson, Doug, and I. So. Right. Doors <laughs> always open. So thank you so much for coming on, though. Oh, you're very welcome. It's great. Thank you. It was awesome. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. So now it's mailbag time, one of my favorite times. From This time it's from our Facebook group. Heels Down Happy Hour Lounge. If you guys don't follow us or join, please join us and write in about different stories. We love kind of answering questions and talking to you guys on there. It's a lot of fun. But this week, um, we had a lady that asked and said, which I thought was kind of an interesting question, what do you do when you want to sell one of your horses, but you don't want to tell your whole crew of friends everything that you're like selling it? Everyone, um, her concern is that everyone posts on social media about how they sell it, like in the sale groups. Right. And every time you sell, you post in there, you know, you get that notification that X person posted in there. So she's afraid all of her friends are then going to see it and click on it. And she's asking basically, should she create another profile? But how would she kind of sell her horse on the down low? What do you have advice for? I think this is interesting because generally when you think of you want to sell a horse, you want the most people to see your ad, right? Um, yeah, I mean, usually, that's, what I would, that's what I would kind of think. So I'm interested to think like how you would answer it. Because for me, when I'm selling a horse, I want to tell everybody because I've decided I wanted to sell it. So why wouldn't I want all my friends to know? Right. And all your friends, especially horse friends who have connections, like you want them to see that. But I can see her point, you know. What if it's, it could be an emotional decision sometimes to sell a horse, especially if she, if she's an amateur and this isn't a business, you know what I mean? Like it could yeah. be very emotional. What if she put a ton of money into this horse and it has some sort of mystery lameness and she's just heartbroken that it just needs to go now because it's just not going to work out. And she has um, questions asked. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or maybe, maybe it's money problems and that's a very personal, you know, mm-hmm. and you just don't want to publicly air or feel ashamed that, you know, Hey, I don't, you know what I mean? Like everyone's going to go, all your friends are going to be like, Oh my God, what's wrong? And you know what I mean? Bombarded with those messages. Um, I never thought about any of that because for me, it's not, it's, it's my profession. So like if I sell a horse, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm selling a horse, but I never thought like on the personal level that that's pretty interesting. And it could be, I mean, you're, if someone's selling their horse, especially if it's not their business, uh, it's already, it's already a sad decision generally. It's already emotional, you know? And so then do you really want people bothering you all the time or, 
or thinking like you gave up or you're not good enough for that horse or you know what I mean? Like all that kind of stuff. Can so what's your, your advice? Cause coming from like, you know, I know how I kind of get the word out in the best way possible, but what would you do in that situation? If you kind of didn't want your friends to know? That's a great question. I'd probably list it for sale on websites outside of Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, oh, list so it it's anonymous. Sale. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go to like what equine.com or all of those ad sites that were what we relied on before social media existed, or maybe ask a trainer or send, send your horse to a sale barn, you know, like on consignment and just yeah. sell it but that way, because then it's not even in your barn. No one will, you know what I mean? It's you're removed from that situation. If you can afford to do that, do it that way. That would be my suggestion. Well, and a lot of the consignment barns, they move them quite fast, you know, exactly. That that's yeah. their business that everybody kind of reaches out to them. So, you know, maybe they even have a friend that could kind of set them up, you know, like kind of go through those avenues of somebody you trust to kind of say, okay, look, help me out without having to go through the social media aspect of it. Exactly. Still use your network, but you don't have to tie your name to it. To those Absolutely. Posts. That would be my suggestion. Well, so good luck. Good luck. Yeah. Selling and I am really sorry. It is always sad to sell worse, but yeah, I never thought about kind of a lot of those different things. So that's pretty it's interesting. Tough. Yeah. yeah. But so if you have, if you guys who are listening have a question and want us to talk about it on air, you can send us an email at hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or like just said, you can join our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. Just search for that and you will find it. And that is it, guys. So if you want to hear more from us, again, please subscribe to the Heels Down Brief at bit.ly slash hdbrief. And many thanks to our sponsors this week, Equal Gold and Smart Pack. So cheers to two people, Jess, at the end of our first episode of 2019. To Devin for being super great and what a great first episode to kick off the new year, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm so glad we got our guest on and Kerrigan. And Kerrigan was awesome too, but I also want to cheers to Sally because she's wonderful and we're going to miss her. We are going to miss her. Wish her all the best for sure. So, all right. Cheers, Jess. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>